0: Hello and welcome to the final Russian football news podcast of 2016. And we are here to sort of go over the year in Russian football and bring a a couple of other bits of news for you. I am joined, as per usual, of course, by website editor Toka Thelade. I'm um, all right, thank you. And, of course, Andrew Flint.
1: Hey, Thomas, good to be
0: back. Good stuff. Okay, well, we may as well dive in straight in with this headline news that came out. I think it's. I think it came out yesterday. It's been a bit busy over Christmas. My mind has spiralled out of control. But, um, Toko, Angie, what, what's happened there?
2: Well, I don't want to say the usual with the Russian club, but... Um... The previous owner here is now Solomon Kerimov has suddenly decided that he don't want no, no longer wants to spend money on the club and uh yeah Anji has a new owner um Osman Khdiev, the former president of dynamo um uh, dynamo down in <laughs> <laughs> uh, well anyway, yeah, they have a new owner and he says that he has promised to to take care of all the debt. And um, he, he says that he wants to build a club with a, a Dagestani uh, DNA and wants to help develop develop Dagestani football and get more youngsters into the team. And as the club, two days ago, issued a statement stating that they have to sell all their major players and, yeah, it looks like they're in for a difficult second half of the season.
0: Just, just very quickly, when did the, the new owner take charge? Oh, it was yesterday. Oh, I thought the news yeah. just came out. Oh, wow. OK. <laughs> so, it's, uh, So Andrew, we saw this with Angie a couple of years ago where they announced that they were selling everybody and they got relegated almost immediately. But they, are, they came back and they haven't exactly been lavish in their spending recently. So just, well, just a couple of points, really. Just talk about your view on the situation. Also, it sort of shows how easy it is for these Russian clubs to get into debt, it seems.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the general business sense of Russian clubs in general is um, fairly shocking. I mean, (laughs) Tocum sort of hinted at it when he said, I don't want to say this is the normal state of affairs for a Russian club. The end of that sentence is, but it is the normal state of affairs for Russian clubs. But no, I mean, you mentioned the way they spent money. They've they've built a, I put together quite an interesting squad this season, I thought. And I've been, you know, I've been enjoying some of their performances. um, And, you know, in particular, players like, Bernard Barisha has been fantastic, and we see he's just signed for, for Terek. Um, Cedric Yambare as a defence midfielder, um, and I think their problem was actually before the first game, Pavel Verba mentioned, didn't he, that they've just got too many nationalities, and he he needs more Russian players to balance out the you know to satisfy the foreigners' ruling. So um, it's sort of cosmopolitan is a cosmopolitan outfit is only only good for so much um before it becomes too much like it like it's proven to be. And I think it's just a case of a bit of clear forward planning needs to be needs to be done for Angie so so that they can have a safe, susa- sustainable squad. Um so hopefully it's not actually the worst news in the world to have a a pull in the funding as long as it's not as long as they're kept afloat, as long as they Sell the most expensive players, but keep a core that they want. Um, their name might be okay
0: So, Tucker, are we thinking that uh, Verb is going to go in in light of these cuts?
2: Well, to be honest, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I, he's a former Czech national team coach. He's sh- surely, he's a very expensive guy to to ha- have around. And if they're not going to keep the best players, I think it probably it is probably a waste to have an expensive expensive head coach, anyway. And I can imagine with a new strategy and new everything that um, changing the head coach at some point makes sense. I don't know if he'll be sacked straight away, but <clears throat> I'm fairly certain he won't be there when the, the next season starts.
0: I'm was gonna i pretty sure he wouldn't be sacked though, because again, that's the compensation thing. I'm thinking he would walk out.
2: Yeah, it's true. It could be, <laughs> it could be forced to walk out. Maybe Andy would save a bit of money there. I have to say with this whole owner, owner, owner change and new strategy and everything, I, I'm not very optimistic on, on Anji's behalf, um, because first of all, it, it would take a long time to to implement and to to get everything going, especially if they do sell all their best players this season, I mean, you can't build up a new team on, on six months, especially not when you're fighting fighting to avoid relegation, so, yeah, I, I, I fear this would be very difficult for Anji, and I wouldn't be surprised if they end up relegated this
0: So, Andrew, while Toker is pessimistic, why why do you think why are you so optimistic? Essentially,
2: well,
1: I think they they actually have a well one of the better, probably the best squad in the bottom half of the of the table. Um, And it depends, of course, how many players leave in the winter. But I think they have enough quality there um, that even if they did sell, you know, three or four of their the best players, they should still have enough to stay up because. Um, I just don't really see um, any of the bottom four at the moment um, performing better than them. (laughs) It's as simple as that, really. Um, They are eight points clear of the automatic relegation places. Um, And, you know, I mean, one of the bigger name players they brought in, um, Gabriel Obertan, he's he's been injured a lot of the time, so they wouldn't really miss him a great deal, but he would save a lot of wages. So, um, certainly on on that particular case, I don't think it'll be a big loss. Um, it, a lot depends on how many go. I think one player in particular they really need to keep keep hold of is Georgi Tigyev. Um You know, he's um, he's going to be very much in demand. I'd be surprised if he stays because we've seen already how Zenit and uh, and Spartak are starting to to buy up the young Russian talent across the league. So. Um I, I think they have enough quality. As simple as that, really. Um you know, they can afford to lose um some of their best players, whereas the other clubs around them really can't. You know, could you imagine for example, Quillia? if they lost Johan Molo and Christian Pasquato, <laughs> for example, um they'd be in a lot of trouble. So I actually think they just have enough in reserve.
0: But I'm thinking not just this season though, you're looking at next season as well. So yeah, they survived this season and it's down to essentially the failure of other teams, isn't it? So, what happens well, the season after that? Do you see what I'm saying? Because you then bring in a whole new it's a bit like um Dinamo did it a couple of years ago or last season even
1: well yeah i mean if um if they did go down i don't again, I don't think it would be the worst thing for them um just like I, in, in my view, what happened to Dinamo going down has been the healthiest thing for them in the long term um they've kept most of their young players together who've now played for Probably a lot of them have played for together for four or five years, if not longer, through the youth teams and moving into the first team. Um, and if their stated aim is to promote Dagestani football, then in fact being relegated would, for that particular aim would be the best thing for them because it would force them to, to offload the foreigners who are on the higher wages. So, I mean, look, no fan likes to be relegated, stating the obvious, but in the long-term interest of the club, if they were, I don't think it would it should be viewed as a disaster, but I don't think they will be relegated, and if they did stay up, um, Feniel teams traditionally have found it very, very difficult to establish themselves in the Premier League, so um, even if they stayed at the level they would be, if they lost the best five players, I still think they would have enough um, to stay up. Long term, of course, they want to do more than just survive in the Premier League, so that's another matter, and that will involve getting more investments in, but Medium term, short term. I honestly, generally, I'm not as worried as as Toka is. Um, although it is Russian football, who knows? Anything could happen. They really could go down. They could stay up. Um, but yeah, I I think they have enough uh, enough to go on, really.
0: Yeah, Toka, do you buy into that? Because I'm also thinking this sort of this idea of having a great Dagestani squad, if you like, is sort of very idyllic. And we've spoken about it, like idyllicism, I guess you'd call it, in uh, on the Russian football news podcast in the past. So it all sounds great on the face of it. But actually, like you said, it could really go one or two ways. And actually, if they, say say the Dagestani squad fails within like a season or so, then they'll just revert back to their old plans and we've just wasted two years.
2: Yeah, it's all down to what the, what the new owner wants. I mean, they have said that they want to bring through youth players before. They've said that the last time they cut the budget and although, I mean, it's a beautiful thought and everything, but let's be honest, it's most likely because the new owner and they want to save money. It's, it's like, it's a cheaper way of having the, sa- of, of having the club. And, well, yeah, it sounds good and maybe they can sell it to the fans, maybe they can't, but it, it basically means that they will have a much less, less capable team in the upcoming seasons. But, on that said, that, that definitely is a potential advantage. I mean, they have a, a great stadium, they have a great infrastructure at the club, they have, um, they have a lot of fans and the community support the club very
0: well. I was going so. to say, att- attendances are generally pretty good by RPL standards, yeah, aren't
2: so. they? So there's definitely a lot of potential in if, Anchi if you get something going, because it, it's one of the few clubs you can actually get people to the stadium and everything, and it's nice and new, so so they deserve they deserve a good football team. And of course, if they do succeed with domestic talent, that would be great, but I, I just don't buy it. I mean, the, the history of Russian clubs is... It, it's not really in their favour. I mean, as soon as they,
0: but but very, sorry sorry sorry, Toker, very quickly, it isn't their favour now with the foreigner rule. Perhaps that's not historically, but but now,
2: that's of course true. That 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 does help them. But my point is that we have seen so many teams saying before that they want to bring through youngsters, and then as soon as they hit the Premier League or as soon as they see someone on the transfer market, they go out and sign a couple of foreigners and. Kittle Kombarov on loan or, <laughs> or some other um, out-of-shape Russian, former international. And then at the end of the potential window, you have a completely different squad, and the owner suddenly has some ambitions. And then a year after, like Angie, they'll forget about those ambitions and start all over. So, yeah, I, I, I think there's, there's so much uncertainties at the moment. So it, it, it's very difficult for them.
0: Yeah, Andrew, we talk about sort of this idyllic idea of having the Dagestani players. But you mentioned earlier that Zenit and Spartak tend to be sort of buying up the young Russian talent. And I'm thinking, if they produce some great player, or even more than one, then the big clubs are just going to come in. And then you won't be able to sustain it.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, you make a good point there. I, I had a... Well, we were all having a discussion on, the, on our group chat when Ilya brought up the point of... Um, Ivan Novotzylsev's solidarity payment to his um, his training club, where apparently it was only 1% of the transfer fee. So they only got um, well, somewhere in the region of 100,000 rubles, um, which was just pathetic. Um, and uh, I think the laws around solidarity payments, development fees, whatever you want to call it, they really need to be uh, watertight and they need to be enforced so that, you know, at the very least... If a, like you mentioned, a club lower down the food chain developer a, you know, a great player and it gets bought up by one of the bigger clubs, that at least it will be uh, sustainable financially. Um, I don't, I don't know exactly what the what the rule states at the moment, but if the Novak of case is anything to go by, then um, they're not strong enough, they're not supportive enough to the lower, you know, the lower clubs. Um, but you know, one possible solution, I, I think might be sustainable for Angie is to is to look in a different place for their players I would recommend looking in the Fenel. Um Ural have, have had a good history of picking up some good youngsters from the second tier uh, and yeah, for fairly obvious reasons they're not likely to be very expensive um, and of course most of them will be Russians.
0: But the, the thing is they're looking at not just Russian; it's Dagestani they're going really local on this
1: I mean, I agree, I agree completely with you, Thomas, when you mentioned it seems a bit idyllic, and I agree with you on that one. It's, 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 um, long-term, it is a va- it's a valid aim, but it's just not sustainable to be so exclusive to such a, well, I say such a small area. It is an area that has developed a lot of creative players in the past, but um, you know, in world football, you can only think of really athletic Bilbao, perhaps, who have such a similar rigid approach to local players. Um and I'm not saying it's, there's anything wrong with trying, aiming for it, but to exclusively go for it would just be probably well, suicide, really. Um, but, you know, if they get a couple of Dagestani players through, great. But, you know, developing youngsters, buying youngsters from, you know, from Russia, from the region if possible, but if not the region, then at least Russia. Um, I think that's the way forward for them. They sh- there is quality in the FNL, if you look hard enough. Um and you're willing to take a punt. Uh, there are some players who can be very effective, maybe not championship winning or European qualifying quality, but you know, at least good enough to improve Angie from where they are. Um so that might be a way for them to go.
0: Yeah, going back to sort of the original headline toker, did the new owner Kadiev, give any sort of deadline on this, that saying we want this by this date? Or was it just we want to invest in Dagestani players and that's it?
2: No, it it was just two pretty short statements on on the official website. First saying they had to cut their budget and the second saying, well, we have a new owner now and he'll do everything he can to make a a smooth transition. So, I don't know much. We don't know much more at at the moment here. So, yeah, there's a lot of guesswork, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, Andrew, you you mentioned Bill Bilbao. That's a really good point. I was also thinking, sort of with our English connections, of someone like Crew Alexandra who produce players and then sell them on. I mean... This is a question to both of you really. Would would if Angie did this, would they just become a selling club? And therefore just always stagnating essentially.
1: Well, you see this, this this is the thing you mentioned you mentioned Crew. Crew's another good um case study in the argument because, you know, Crew's youth system, um, you know, I've got to be sensitive with of uh, developments of the last few months obviously on this one, but um They have quite rightly been proud of all the players they've produced, but a lot of their players haven't come from the local area. You know, Neil Lennon came through, um, Danny Murphy came through. um, You know, neither they they were from the North, see, Manchester area, Crew area, Um, but they are still quite rightly held up as examples of, um, you know, the the quality that their youth system uh, produces. So if Angie's youth academy did bring through players who weren't specifically Dagestani, I think they could still be very proud if they develop someone who goes on to have a Premier League career. So, um, I think I would like to see how the comments come out over the next few days and weeks from Angie, from the owner, um, you know, what plans, what announcements are, uh, uh, are detailed, because I'd like to see exactly how rigid they want to be to the Dagestani idyll, if you like. Um I think perhaps they probably want to make positive noises for the first announcement to the fans. Uh, I'm sure they won't stick too rigidly to it, just simply because it would be unrealistic um, and unnecessary, really. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm going to try and be positive um, about this. I think they'll I, th- I think they be fine, as long as they're not too idyllic.
0: Yeah, Toko, you were going to come in on that point about whether they become a selling club or not.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think they'll definitely be a selling club. they that are probably a selling club right now. And to be fair, most, most clubs in, in Russia are even Senna's. They lost hulk this summer, for example. So, they'll definitely be a selling club, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, with this new strategy, I don't think they have any... Or of course, they don't have any ambitions of winning the league. Maybe, the, maybe they do, but that's very unrealistic at the moment. So, if they do produce some, some good youngsters down the line, and sell them to send a Spartak for a big profit, that's that's a huge success for them. That's uh, that'd be great because they are they're not the t- the team with Samuel Lito and Roberto Carlos anymore. They are one of the smaller clubs in the league. So producing good talents and selling them on for a profit that that would be great for them and that's of course that's one of the ways to to stay sustainable and stay on financial in a financial good situation if you can if you manage to sell your players, but that's that's what many of the smaller teams have not done very well in the in the last couple of years, actually managing to sell on their profiles for profit instead of just losing them for free after the contract runs out.
0: Yeah, I mean the thing is though, fans aren't very happy with that, are they?
2: Well I'm I'm sure the Fanta fans, you know that they're not going to challenge in the top anytime soon anyway. So, I, I mean I don't I don't see why they wouldn't. But they would be fooling themselves if they think they could win the league anyway. So why 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 wouldn't they, i don't see why they wouldn't be happy with selling great players uh, great talents to to the bigger clubs and on in the system so
0: just to sort of round this off andrew you sort of thinking that it will be successful
2: over all this sort of
0: move
1: well i i think it's got the potential to to be healthy for the club in the long term yes um I've, you know there there are so many ifs and buts as with all situations in russian football but um i just you look at their squad and the amount of nationalities they've they've got and um, it's not quite it's not quite sustainable there isn't a huge amount of it, they've got an entertaining uh, aspect to their to their squad but it's 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 not a strict identity and I think if they filter out the players who are who are let's be honest joining as a stepping stone um I doubt Gabriel Olgatan is planning on retiring in Dagestan for example um so they clear out the players who aren't committed to the long-term cause and and I honestly think it will be in the long-term interest of the club. And I'm not saying, I'm not ruling out that including them being relegated, that might be what they need to go through. But again, I still view that as a long-term sustainable success because the Dynamo example I bring up again, um, it, it sometimes is the best thing that happens to a club. So long-term, I think I don't think it will be a disaster, uh, even if they are relegated, which I don't expect them to be, but if they are, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world.
0: And Tokyo, you're going the opposite way.
2: Yeah. I kinda have. So I <laughs> I I just too many years of following Russian football have just made made me pessimistic and too many too many nice announcements and statements have always ended up in, in failure at the end and catastrophe. catastrophes so I'll I'll have to see some results and some actual actions before I, I get optimistic, because otherwise I'll, I'll just end up killing myself and following Russian
0: football. I was going to say, I think <laughs> I think Russian football actually affects my day-to-day life, <laughs> in that I sort of always look at the worst in situations, like, oh, something great's happened, but what could go wrong? What's going to go wrong here? Anyway, sort of going on to our sort of 2016 roundup now we've had a lot of ups and downs in russian football as per usual that we were just talking about it's like one of those graphs where it's got no middle ground it's just bottom top bottom top bottom top so andrew let's let's start with the good things what what have you enjoyed about this year of russian football
1: well the obvious points to start with would be uh, rostov's um challenge for the title that was just magical um and you know i w- i was at the, the last game of the season in yekaterinburg and um, and i was i was watching I was watching the game on my on my tablet as the, as the you know the game in front of me was going on and you know Angie needing one more goal to win the title i mean that was just on the edge of your seat stuff whether you're neutral or not it was just it was great to watch um and uh, yeah that that obviously that was enjoyable really really enjoyable anybody could see that and you know and of course um since then rostov's challenges in europe despite the you know, being hammered by buy and away, they've had some encouraging not just results, but in performances in the group stage. So, Rostov are an easy one to point out as a sporting high. But I'm I'm going to pick out my personal highlight um, as uh, as a Dynamo Dynamo Moscow um, relegated. And I, like we just said, getting relegated was the best thing that could happen for them. Look at them now. There's positivity around them on the pitch, off the pitch. Of course, there are Question marks over finances, but which club in Russia doesn't have questions over the finances? Even, even uh, I believe it was it Alexei Miller's announcement over Zenit's um, profitability at the moment left hints about whether Gazprom would continue supporting league I, I read recently. Um, so Dinamo going down, they have kept the you know core of their squad together, but they they're rolling over their and it's um, it's good to see. The long-term nature of the club starting to prosper, so that's what I would pick out as my highlight: the rebirth of a great club.
0: Yeah, Toka. I mean, we've talked about Rostov as well, and we Andrew mentioned the Champions League there as well. With that, that victory over Bayern Munich was one of the best things to happen to Russian football in a long time.
2: Yeah, it was. It was one of the first really, really big victories.
0: Probably, probably. Russia. Sorry, probably since UEFA Cup wins, isn't it?
2: I mean, we did, we did have those CSK victories against Manchester City a couple of years ago. They, they were also great. and but, but those results, when one of the Russian clubs defeat one of the really, really big teams from Europe, they're just... They're, they're rare these days. We have to admit that. It's not like when Senna defeated Bayern Munich 4 in the UEFA Cup in, in 2008. They're, they're kind of rare these days, and when we see them, it's, it's just magical. I know Bayern Munich didn't have the strongest squad and everything and the game went much more to Russia but but still that was that was such a special game and was really impressive by Rustov and they got that third place we all thought in the beginning would be almost impossible. So yeah, that was that was really an amazing night and I guess that's one of those European nights that everybody talks about if your team plays in Europe.
0: Yeah, I mean I've only had that luxury of watching my team in Europe once and it was great fun. But again, with that Rostov thing, I'm, I'm not so much looking at the uh, Bayern game, I'm thinking of the PSV game, where even though it was a draw, a dull nil-nil draw, just the, the end of it was just so crazy. You're just really sort of wanting them to boot everything out of the area and then when Asmoon sort of missed that quite easy chance earlier on, you thought it was one of those sort of turning points of the game. I mean, Andrew, that PSV one for me is right up there with, with the Bayern victory.
1: Oh, absolutely! I, I I agree with you entirely because it's, it's like I mentioned, it was the performances of Rostov, you know, showing different qualities that they needed—the grit to grind out a draw away from home, as well as the glamorous blockbuster counter-attacking brilliance of the three-two against Bayern. Um, I agree with you entirely, um, and you know, if you think about it, even even branching away from Rostov for a moment, that um, look at the look at other. Russian results we've had in Europe. Some have been fantastic too. Zenit's against Maccabee. um, Just absolutely insane.
0: (laughs) Three kneel down in the 80th minute and 4-3 winners. Ridiculous.
1: Wasn't it? I mean, just those, those sort of moments. Those are the very high peaks that we get following Russian football to counter you know, the the depression that Toka hinted at following Russian football that we can't um we can't deny its existence. But the, the peaks, the excitement and the thrills and God, I mean those those nights are the ones that we really look forward to. Um I mean, you know, I, I follow as as you guys obviously know, I follow two men in the second tier, um and we don't get many of those nights, um, afternoons or mornings. Um you know, mostly it's a few hundred people watching us concede a dreary equaliser to Baltica Kaliningrad. Um so, you know, as a Russian football fan, I allow myself the pleasure of those nights and my word, they are they're inspiring nights. Those are the ones you want to be part of. So yeah, I completely agree with you. Performance of Rostov is um is great for the strength of the Russian League. Really, really delighted to see that.
0: And um, th- any other particular highlights you pick out, uh Togel, We saw Andrew mentioned Dinamo then?
2: I, I have to stick with Rostov here because when I look back were, over all the pictures this uh, this year, there was really one one Rostov, Rostov game that 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 stood out, and that was the three 0 victory against Senate in April at home in Rostov. That was really before that they had already beaten uh, Spartak and Siscan, Lokomotiv, and all the good teams, and they were up at top of the league. But but that three 0 demolition, it was really a demolition against Senate. I mean that really made me believe in in their chances and that was really that was also one of those special games because they simply they deserved that so much it was they played a fantastic game against okay, it was Willis Power's Senate, and they weren't in the best shape at the moment, but I think before the game, most of us expected Senate to end Rust of hope uh, at that game and then they got demolished. That was really that was that was quite the game, and I really enjoyed that one.
0: Um, sorry, Andrew. Were you going to come in and say something then?
2: No, uh, no, no. I mean, um, I mean,
1: <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't bore the listeners with my two highlights because, let's be honest, there are. Let's just
0: have a whole show of them.
1: Well, okay. You know what? <laughs> let's crack on. Um, no, seriously. I mean, it's um, it's it's it is heartening, and it is important that we do highlight the you know the other performances other than the glamour nights, like you know, Toker mentioning that three 0 for example. Um, Seeing uh, seeing Johan Molo refine his form for me on a sort of individual player highlight has been um, has been really really pleasing too because you know when he when he signed um, again in the summer there was a lot of positivity then he didn't really have the greatest first couple of months back in well, I say back just remaining in Russia if you like um, but since Christian Pasquato has found his feet and those two counter attacking together at such pace. Um, their performances in general has also been a highlight of mine. So, um, despite the doom and gloom, despite the a chaos, there are plenty of highlights to pick out there, um, and I'm sure we could. Uh, you know, listeners will have their own personal ones which they can share with us soon. But um, yeah, those on a personal highlight.
0: Yeah, and take another one. I'm thinking as well is Spartak this season. I know it's only the first couple of few, well, first few months of this season, are in 2016, but the fact that they've sort of Re-energized and looked like they could win that title. Even as a Zenit fan myself, I'm quite pleased, is putting it strongly. But you know, you know what I mean.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. And I think had it not been for the whole Rostov fairy chain, they probably would have been. They probably would be maybe maybe the biggest story this year. But I don't think anything can always shadow Rostov's achievement because that's that's simply unique. And they yeah. If they win the league next year we'll probably be talking about them at this time, but this year's it's it has been all about stuff
0: Yeah, I mean the other thing I'm thinking that's gone a bit under the radar is the coefficients. I mean we've seen Russia rise up in the coefficients, start to push those sort of top European leagues. They're never gonna match the top sort of three or four, I guess, if you like. But they're really sort of rivaling France for that fifth place now. And they had they they were in it and I I think they still are. I mean correct me if I'm wrong, Andrew.
1: Well, last I saw we they were sort of point one of a coefficient point behind fifth place, but um I I agree that's a very, very good point because that that really um that really affects the whole league and it's you know, the cons- the concept, the image of the league is is a long way behind, you know, even the French, Dutch, Portuguese leagues, I'd say within Western European circles but i I don't really care because the more exposure Russian clubs get to European football over the next five ten years the the more that image will improve and that extra place that crucial extra place will will make uh, will make a lot of difference so yeah it's a very good point for the long term or medium term um prospects of the league in general um that that is definitely a highlight too it's a good good point Adam Thomas, top so i agree
0: and just while,
1: before I get to the
0: low points i want to sort of build up a bit of hype is the, who have been your best players of 2016 Toka? I know we've got the Russian Football News Top 50 coming up on the website very soon but who have your who's your personal choices
2: well in my opinion we have three really really good players in the, in the league and that's Juliano uh, Smolov and Promus. those are the three players that can single-handedly change the outcome of games and who single-handedly can carry teams on their back I uh, I think my favorite right now, and I'm not saying he's the best player, but the player I've been the most impressed of is is Giuliano at Senate because the way he just stepped in and took over after Hulk almost from day one, that has been that really impressed me. And yeah, I, w- I was really surprised because I definitely expected Senate to struggle after Hulk because he has been of course such a huge uh, part of the team in the in the previous couple of years, but no one is thinking about Hulk anymore. He is almost forgotten because Giuliano and the rest of the team are just moving forward with an incredible pace so yeah i've been really impressed by him
0: yeah Andrew, would you go with those same three players or would you chuck anybody else in or?
1: those three are clearly the the standout three um uh, i mean yeah. i sjoros <laughs> F- i've i've loved ever since he saved the out from relegation a couple of seasons ago um and he just he's for me the player who has the most X-factor. Juliano has been absolutely magnificent and he really has made a an incredible transition from a totally different culture. Um, now, we know Lucheska has a history in his time at uh, Shakhtar Donetsk, bringing three Brazilian players, but to to get the most out of him, and bearing in mind, remember in the summer we spoke to a few Brazilian journalists of context who weren't overly enthusiastic about Juliano, um, and yet he has really proven himself to be motivated and uh, and, and he's got so much confidence on the ball. Um, but for me, Smolov is about the most complete of the three, uh, hence he gets my vote for... Um, he will get my vote in the top 50. Um, but uh, I'd I'd also... Pardon me. I'd also like to just make a little mention for sort of breakthrough in the first half of the season. I've been really, really encouraged in the last few games by Fyodor Chalov, Um now, he's only just come into the side, he's only scored once, I think it is, but he's he's only 18, and considering how much pressure there was on him, given the complete lack of success of Traore and Strandberg at Cisca, um I think he's got real potential, and I co- I've got confidence in him making the World Cup squad um, in 18 months' time. It's a bit of a long shot, but he's got something about him. He's got more than just, you know, physical characteristics um, or just you know, a few tricks in the back. He's got he's got creativity and a work rate on him. So um, I'd like to point uh, point out Chalov's claims as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, Toko, we were both at the um, CSK Spurs game, and when Chalov came on,
1: I mean, you can't say he changed the game
0: because he didn't, but it it added a new bit of pace, at least, and a bit bit more enthusiasm.
2: Yeah, there was there was a certain energy around him, and it was like this, this CSK game got some. Yeah, some new pace and some new energy as you said. That's that's absolutely true and he most certainly looks like an interesting interesting man for the future and will be I'll be following him closely in the next year and i I'm really looking forward to seeing how Goncharinko will will use him in, in his new system. We we don't know much about how CSK are gone to play the in the spring, but I hope he'll find some room for, for cello at least at least now of them.
0: Okay, so here we go. We're on to the doom and gloom now. So the, the lows as there are many, as we mentioned earlier. Andrew, I hear you chuckling away. What is your low of twenty sixteen?
1: Uh well it's it's one of those take your pick moments, isn't it, really? Um I think I think overall it's hard to look for me to look past Russia's abysmal performance in the in the Euros. Um I don't know what was worse about it. The fact that um the well the results are so poor or the fact that the organisation seemed dreadful. I mean, do you remember Remember when the squad was announced? And um, I can't remember who it was who was injured at the last minute, but um, Artur Yusupov was called up when he himself said, I'm completely out of shape. He didn't even have boots with him. Um, and he it, and he was called into the World Cup squad, uh, uh, the European Championship squad at the last minute.
0: Was it Zagoyev or was it somebody later than that who, who dropped out?
1: Possibly was, possibly was Zagorov, um, I just everything about it, the lack of preparation, the lack of application of the players, Slutsky's lack of ideas, um, you know, going from, you know, great qualification camp, well I say great, he did his job very well. A good rescue job. He did a good rescue job, he did his job at short notice but then just completely flopped, was completely exposed, tactically, mentally, the lot. Um, it was kind of depressing because it confirmed the worst stereotypes of the quality of Russian football that the rest of the European community have, and that's what frustrated me. I really wanted Russia to at least give a good account of themselves, even if, even if they didn't manage to qualify from the group, but you know went out all guns blazing. I would have been happier, but it was just disappointing on so many levels. So that for me is the low point.
0: I mean, Toki, you've got to echo those sentiments, haven't you? Really, unless you're picking something else out, of course.
2: Well, I wasn't really that disappointed with the Euro because it didn't have that high expectations once it started. Of course, it was pretty poor and everything, but my standout low of the year has to be CSK Moscow's crisis this this fall. I mean, first of all, the way they said goodbye to Slutsky, the way the fans treated him towards the end of his, his stint at the club, that was, that was unworthy for a man of his character. But after all he's done for the club and... Even for the country, with taking over the national team, or well, even though he didn't want so and everything, and then the way they have completely collapsed on the pitch this this uh, the previous six months as well has been it has simply been awful. I know that we have talked about all these good reasons for why the results have failed with the missing investments in the club and everything, but at the end of the day, they still had a pretty good team and and it's simply. Yeah, the way they have collapsed has just not been good enough, and it's been so disappointing, and it's been so awful to watch, and yeah, they have to be my standout low of the season. The the way CSK have played this the previous six months after winning the league last season, that's, yeah, it's really from first to worst in very short time.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, Andrew, that, that title victory last season certainly papered over the cracks
1: yeah absolutely um i, I was i mean I, I had called them to win the league um and at the beginning of the season but they just failed to properly replace ahmed musa um or even if you look further back Seydou Dumbia. um and you know for for half a season they managed but now it's just um well they they, they just didn't plan ahead um and unfortunately i, I does make a very good uh, shout for low points of the year. It is awful how Slutsky was treated, but unfortunately, he did have some failings, um, and one of those was his lack of flexibility or lack of forward planning. Um, so, unfortunately, yes. I, I honestly don't think there are... I don't think there's so much of a distance between Tisker getting back to title, genuine title-winning form, as many people believe. I think they need... Really, two or three top-class players, and they could probably probably still mount a challenge. need a top-class striker, almost two, but certainly one.
0: But there's no money, Andrew. That's the problem. Well,
1: I, I know. I mean, I'm talking hypothetically here, of course. But um, I did hear I did hear talk of um, a possible swap of sorts of Zagoye for Umar and Nias at Everton. Um, I don't know how serious that was, but that I think actually. Cisco would be a great loss, but I'm almost thinking Nias would be pot- potentially more important because they just have nothing up front. Um, but anyway, you know, I'm going off track there. But um, yeah, I, Slutsky's departure that that was a real disappointment too. Um, and long-term, Cisco, I've got a lot of rebuilding to do. Um, and uh, starting, I think they should start with with the youth team. Bring a few players in. Um, Who they will bring in the summer, I don't know, but they've got to do something.
0: Yeah, you talk about Nias I'm also thinking Toka. I mean, going a bit, crossing the city from Siska, basically, going to Locomotive, there's been a lot of, excuse me, a lot of messing around there over the last few months, so it hasn't really gone well. So we've seen that in their league position at the moment.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. We have also talked about all the problems, but I have to say that on Locomotive's behalf, I've actually. I'm st- I I'm remain optimistic, because what they're doing off the pitch, trying to get people to the stadium, is very positive and very um, promising, and on the pitch, uh, they did play some good games towards the end of the season, especially that 6-0 uh, victory against Tom Tomsk, and they, I think things will be better for Lokomotov in the spring, and they have they've had Simon for six months now, and it looks like he'll stay on. It will be a blow when they lose middle and shook up to the season, maybe even both of them, but I, I remain optimistic on their behalf, although this season is, of course, a, a disaster if, if it continues like this. But let's remember, they're only, I think, five or six points behind the Europa League, and if they get the fifth place, then everything will be forgotten. So, just like Ilja Boss on the website, I, I remain optimistic on their behalf.
0: The other thing I'm thinking, Andrew, is going... Looking at World Cup stadiums, we haven't seen really any progress there, and it's getting quite worrying now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's, uh, I don't know. I mean i I don't believe I don't believe that we'll get to the World Cup with a you know with any of the stadium not ready. I mean, we might be pushing it close to the close to the limit, but um, it's it's not great. And to be honest with you, my my personal view of the, the World Cup venues is that they weren't chosen particularly sensibly um, or sustainably. Um, I mean, Saransk having a 30,000-plus, 40,000-plus stadium, utter madness. Kaliningrad, I mean, seriously, what was that? Um, and then ignoring the already brilliantly built Krasadar arena. I mean, I don't believe it's worth saying we're not going to give it to Krasadar because others nearby, you know, Sochi, for example, um are, are more suited to it it's just it's it's silly it wasn't a good plan
0: I, I have a feeling that actually Galitsky didn't want that stadium to be used but that, that's a different issue
1: well I'd, I have to be honest I, I'd find it I'd find it odd I mean maybe there are reasons why but um, I would have thought he would want to showcase his stadium showcase the the, the ground the house that he has built um, so it is a wonderful arena It's, a, you know, it's got a unique character to it um bit of a you know Roman Colosseum look to it Um and and more importantly, in my view, the the club that that use it, FC Krasnodar, are actually going to go places. They're they're going to be challenging for Europe every year unless something goes badly wrong. Um, whereas when there's nothing more sad and depressing than seeing you know a, a World Cup stadium with a a second tier or even third tier team in it with a few hundred or one or two thousand people in it. And um, you know in Brazil, we've seen examples of that, um, or even worse. And, and that's where I think the planning has gone wrong. So, anyhow, the, the most you know we, we at least have got some really good stadium built and ready. Um, and you know we talked before about the Saint Petersburg stadium I that will not be allowed to not be ready on time because it's such an emblematic city and and uh, venue. So, um, it' a lot of work to be done. I think it will be done, but there is a lot to be done too. So, you know, there's a lot, a lot, a lot to be made up.
0: Yeah, I think I was. At, I think that is. You've ended on the positive, and I'm very pleased with that because that seems the perfect way to sort of finish off the year, go into 2017 with a bit of hope. Everything will be fine yep. by Confederations Cup, and everything will be perfect. So that's great. So it just leaves me to say, again, thanks again, Toka, and happy New Year to you for 2017.
2: Happy New Year, Tom, and and Happy New Year to all our listeners and readers. It is it's a, it's a pleasure to give you all these news about Russian football.
0: Fantastic, and Andrew as well. Happy New Year to you in Tumian.
1: Snowy Gordion,
0: Thomas. Yes, exactly, Snowy Well, anyway, like I said, that's the the end of 2016 for the Russian Football News podcast, at least, and it's actually the end of it in a in a few well, few hours, really, in the context of a year. So, anyway, as per usual, do read the the website russianfootballnews.com. dot uh, com. Subscribe to this podcast; it's on SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Twitter, Russ Football News, and again, just sort of. Tell your friends about this podcast because, like Toka says, we really enjoy bringing you the news on Russian football. So keep looking at the website over the winter break, even though there's little football. I know Andrew posted a video on the Facebook page the other day. There, We will still be having quite a lot of content going up, even though it's the winter break. So, again, just uh, thank you, and we'll see you in the new year.